Well, technology artist and humanitarian engineer Jess Coldry is a 2021 scholar, Victorian government, John Monash scholar, graduating from Monash University with a Bachelor of Arts, Human Geography and Bachelor of Visual Arts. Jess has done innovative research on sustainability in engineering and infrastructure. She's currently studying a Master's of Humanitarian Engineering with Management at Warwick University. Jess, welcome to the program. Hi, Justin. Lovely to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you on. Now, Jess, where are you joining us from today? I'm joining from Warwick in England, which is near Birmingham, a couple hours from London. Uh, and it's beautiful here at the moment. It's just popping out of winter. So all the daffodils are coming up all around us. Sounds lovely. How long have you been in Warwick for? It's been about six or seven months now. So I'm halfway through the master's at the moment. Now, tell me, why did you choose that university? You had, as a scholar, you get to choose wherever you'd like to study anywhere on the planet and you've ended up at Warwick University. I'm sure there's a good story behind that. Yeah, definitely. I think a bit of an unconventional choice. Um, but I guess uh, I felt that the Masters of Humanitarian Engineering really captured where I was going on my path. And as you mentioned a bit earlier, I've been uh, in a few different fields. So maybe I'll take you through um, a bit of the journey and, and how I ended up here. Yeah, please do. Start at the beginning. How about that? So um, I graduated school wanting to be an artist, uh, going to all the art schools around Melbourne. And I found that all of the artists that I admired, I uh, liked them for their ideas and their concepts, uh, I guess more so than just the visual aesthetic of things they were making. So Rather than just studying visual arts, I decided, why don't I do a humanities degree alongside it? And then I'll have stuff to make art about. Amazing. Building a, an understanding of what was going on in the world was really important to me um, in pursuing the kind of artist I wanted to be. Um, and so I found human geography, which ended up being my major, which is a really exciting kind of interdisciplinary field that looks at essentially from the perspective of the humanities and politics and economics, uh, how can we build a more sustainable future, essentially? So um, the first few years were great. I was really enjoying the sustainability side, but I felt that it wasn't necessarily tangible enough for what I wanted to do. It was, um, I guess, ideas-based and, and optimistic, but it wasn't really a, a boots-on-the-ground kind of course. Um, at the same time, in my visual arts course, I felt that um, I wanted some more of that, I guess, technical, mechanical, engineering-type stuff, which I grew to love. So kind of converged both of these gaps and started working in uh, engineering and uh, the civil sector. So I worked in sustainability and creative strategy for a few transport projects, uh, including the Metro Tunnel, and found that really exciting. And uh, as I kind of sunk my teeth into the engineering sector, my artwork started becoming infused with all of these um, machines and 3D prints. And I started exploring factories and learning all about how everything worked. Um, and I guess as I kind of built this love of the engineering sector, I started to really understand there was quite a big gap in Australia in terms of 
how we utilize our infrastructure funding. And I felt that it could be more directed to social and environmental factors rather than, I guess, building to get from point A to point B or um, the physicality of it. Yes, there's a big debate in Australia about that right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess what happened next was I had all of these interests in different fields, the visual arts, the humanities, the environment. It's a great mix. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot of a lot of fun and I guess I have a bit of shiny object syndrome, but I needed something to <laughs> put it all together. And I guess um, having all of these different perspectives into, I guess, sustainability and the future of creative cities and what I thought I'd like things to look like. Uh, I wanted to take more of a strategic management type role in infrastructure and start looking at how can we uh, do things differently and how can we allocate funding differently. Um, And then I heard about the Masters of Humanitarian Engineering. You thought, hang on a minute, this sounds okay. I like the sound of this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, the way that humanitarian engineering threads together the humanities with the STEM sector Uh, is very innovative. And just to give a bit of background on the field, uh, it's an approach to managing engineering projects that's been championed by um, international development agencies and organisations like Engineers Without Borders for several decades. And it's a way of really using uh, management and policy to implement projects and plan projects in a way that really addresses um, social or environmental concerns and looks at future-proofing infrastructure and uh, a whole different way of, I guess, planning and managing projects. And it really captured my interest and I thought, kind of, hang on a second, Um, if this has been working so well overseas, why don't we try bringing it back to Australia? And hence the John Ash Foundation and I'm really enjoying uh, the course so far and hoping to see how it translates into project management in Australia. Well, you fit a lot into your 24 years, I must say, Jess. Tell me, when when you were going through year 12 and everyone asks you what you're planning to do next year, including mum and dad, uh, when you narrowed it down and said, well, I think I want to be an artist, what was what was the reaction? I think my parents were quite trusting of me that I would kind of find my way to what I was meant to and um, my mom, especially, she remembers having a talk from our school that said um, the jobs of the future don't exist yet and you might not necessarily think that the path your kids are taking are, you know, the right path to getting a job in the future. But if you kind of trust the process, they'll find their way and they'll create um, the industries of the future essentially. And so I think there were a lot more supportive than I guess um, parents can sometimes be, especially pursuing creative careers. But I was very adamant um, throughout my final year, which is year 12 in Victoria, that I wasn't going to graduate with a score. I didn't want to do my exams. I had my art portfolio and I just wanted to uh, get into art school and, and draw all day, all night, forever. And I guess that shifted as I got into uni. Um, but that was the plan originally. Now you're on the other side of the world studying a, a master's in 
humanitarian engineering. I think I'd be quite surprised if I told my 18-year-old self that I'd end up in STEM and probably would have said, oh, like, that sounds boring or, or something like that. Yeah, I've had to reframe, I guess, the whole STEM sector as something that is conducive to creativity. And I think that's the problem that I had with it throughout school if um, science and engineering had have been solved as um, one of the most creative fields, which I think it is now. You're here now. So I don't think I've spoken to Jess, a scholar from or studying at, at Warwick University. So what's it like there? Give us an idea of what it's like to study on campus and the university itself and, and the cohort? Oh, it's great. It's a great culture. And having studied the last few years of my undergraduate, mainly online during COVID, it's just such a breath of fresh air. Um, and it's quite culturally different over in the UK, I guess, because um, we've got our big cities in Australia and a lot of people study in their home cities and kind of stay in their comfort zones and, and have their friends. But everyone here, I guess, moves from other cities um, or tries to move as far away as possible and have a new experience. So everyone comes um, onto the campus, I guess, not really knowing people, wanting to make friends, wanting to soak everything up. And so it's got this great, um, like, electric energy. We've got um, bars and cinemas and, like, 300 societies there's always stuff happening uh, at Warwick which is really fun and the cohort itself in humanitarian engineering is very tight-knit there's about 20 of us and I'd say 12 countries represented in that so it's a very diverse cohort. Where, whereabouts are um, people from? A lot of African countries some European countries I'm the only Aussie at the moment um but it's just fascinating, honestly, like talking about um, food security or water and then having people all around the room kind of pitch in how things work in their home country and um, what projects or shortcomings they've noticed in their time at home. It really enriches things. And I think the diversity is reflected in the teaching too. We've got um, people from all different departments lecturing and it's honestly just the most eye-opening thing I've ever done. It's, it's been so fun so far. Have you had a chance to travel at all, notwithstanding COVID and, and, your, and your studies and work, but have you had a chance to look around, go to other countries? Yeah, I've been super lucky, actually. I've barely seen anything in the UK because every chance I get, um, it's my first time in Europe. So I want to see as many places as I can while I'm here. So um, since we moved over, I've been to Croatia, Slovenia, Italy, France, Iceland, and Scotland. So we've ticked off quite a few so far. Very jealous. That sounds like a very good list to start with. Yeah, it's a good start, but I'm keen to slot some more in before I head home. So in terms of the coursework there for your master's, do you have to do a thesis? Yeah, there'll be a dissertation uh, at the end of the course. And what's, um, what's the plan at this stage? What's your topic? As I mentioned earlier, I've got a bit of shiny object syndrome. So there are a lot of things I'd like to explore and I'm very tempted by quite a few topics. But um, as I mentioned, I'm really passionate about um, how we can address that gap in Australia in terms of how we're utilising our infrastructure funding, how we can make it more sustainable and future-proof our infrastructure. Um, so there's that kind of strategic project management hat. 
And then on the other hand, I'm just so excited by drones right now and I'd love to do something with drones. Why don't you combine them? Combine the two. Yeah, maybe like sustainable drone infrastructure. I don't know. Um, there's quite a few interesting conservation drone projects at the moment and we've got some in Australia working with um, the World Wildlife Fund, uh, Airseed, which is a really interesting startup. So hoping to do a bit of research with them in the next year or so, but whether I end up submitting it as a dissertation or whether it's just kind of a fun project on the side, we'll see how it all falls into place down the track, I suppose. So why do you think, Jess, sustainability is so important to city planning and infrastructure? Well, I guess um, I think cities really shape human behavior they're often like the center of culture and ideas change in the cities before they spread out uh, throughout the rest of the world and uh, in terms of sustainability I think one of the shortcomings of studying human geography at uni um, it was very focused on principles what we should do what people's behavior should be and I guess I really wanted something hands-on and looking at the the engineering sector and infrastructure, I mean, there's a lot of really big budget, big ticket items with lots of potential to improve. And I mean, you've got um, construction materials, which can be very um, extractive and, and damaging and a lot of interesting innovations in recycled materials, you've got all of the um, energy and emissions from a lot of concrete when you're building new things. And I guess there's also the whole um, culture and, and future-proofing side of it. So I guess if we want to have more socially sustainable societies and more inclusive societies, that starts with um, public space, transport, accessibility, and there's just so much scope, honestly, I think, to improve how we approach infrastructure that it's really a, a goldmine, I think, for implementing new sustainable practices in Australia. And for it to be more, as you say, more inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. So where has, um, if you can just cast an eye at Australia, for example, where do you think perhaps that has not occurred and there's room for improvement? Uh, well, I suppose uh, there's a lot of really fantastic uh, like small, medium enterprises and innovative startups with uh, technology and new engineering approaches or materials, but it's quite difficult, in my opinion, for them to break into some of the more major infrastructure projects and to have a space to uh, prototype and have... Um, cases where they can demonstrate their practice and really um, that adoption of sustainable innovation is quite slow and we have a lot of great ideas but I feel like they're not really coming through into the big budget projects as much as they could be and creating more um, agile frameworks for procuring and um, managing infrastructure projects could really, I think across the board, help improve infrastructure sustainability. You've mentioned, um, early, you mentioned earlier STEM. So if you look at that wide field, and it is a big field, what are some of the barriers uh, that need to be overcome to see more women and people of diversity, diverse backgrounds enter these uh, STEM industries? 
I think there's kind of two elements of this. So you've got what can we do right now in this moment to increase diversity and what can we do in the future kind of building bottom-up through education to uh, include diversity more in STEM. So I guess to start with the education element, uh, as I said, for me, reframing um, the science, technology, engineering and, and maths sector as something that can be creative and strategic, um, really tying that to, I guess, particularly some of the values that I think um, young girls are generally uh, socially conditioned to um, want to present more, like creativity I felt was always encouraged when I was younger and perhaps that played a role in, in wanting my career path to be an artist for such a long time. Um, and I think, I mean, diversity doesn't just mean uh, gender. You've also got um, we're trying to increase neurodiversity in the industry and cater for people with different abilities. So I think that um, really starting in schools, starting when people are young and trying to rethink uh, and redefine what does STEM mean, what does it look like, who does it involve and how can we kind of shift what the workplace looks like to accommodate that. And right now I think um, something we can do considering there is already um, a big gap when you look at graduates from STEM courses and uh, representation there, I think a way that we can kind of immediately solve some of the diversity challenges in the STEM industry is just starting off by being more interdisciplinary and looking towards people um, with different educational backgrounds and cultural backgrounds uh, as a skill set. And by nature, I think this would attract people from more diverse backgrounds. And I mean, you know, if you look at the failings of um, quite a few projects, I mean, you often have um, people coming in uh, say in the international development sense, coming in from uh, another country, not understanding uh, the local area, not understanding the culture and trying to design for a society that they're not a part of. Um, these projects really don't always succeed in the long run and, and they're not always adopted. And I think that the knowledge from diversity uh, is really essential to whether projects succeed in the long term and, and local knowledge, uh, people from the communities you're designing for, whether that's overseas or whether that's in Australia, um, it needs to be represented in the engineering and design teams. Well said. Am I right in saying, Jess, that you've spent some, you spent some time in France doing some work and study there? Yeah, that's right. I made a pit stop in France on my way over to England. As you do. It's a nice, nice place to have a pit stop, let me tell you. Absolutely. <laughs> so what did you tell me about um, what you did in France? So I did an art residency there at the Botanic Gardens of Manet-Sessin, which is a few hours from Paris by train. And I was working there uh, as a laureate of the Australian-France Association for Innovation and Research. And I was looking at how um, to visualise and communicate endometriosis. Okay. Yes. Go on. So um, if you're not familiar with endometriosis, uh, it's a chronic illness where tissue similar to the lining of the uterus grows outside it 
in the abdomen. Um, and it's something that I think the current figures are one in nine people with uteruses have, but it's not very publicly talked about, hence the seven-year diagnosis time. And I had my diagnostic surgery just before leaving for my studies and um, had the art residency already lined up. So I decided to use my time there looking at how to, I guess, um, delve into the social taboos that lead to such a long diagnosis time. And what was the what was the end result of, of all of that? So I created two series. The first was Invisible Pain, which was a photography series using robotics, um, which was essentially trying to create visualizations of what endometriosis symptoms feel like um, in contrast to other pelvic pain or menstrual pain cramps. Um, and I felt that a lot of the artwork and graphics around endometriosis contributed to the taboos that existed, very gory, violent, bloody imagery that um, kind of gave me the same reaction that I think society generally has to endo, which is, oh, yuck, like, next. Um, so I wanted to use a much more softer, delicate, um, visually alluring aesthetic that would make people want to look closer, make people curious and not make them look away. So I was playing with um, flowers and fabrics and twisting them with uh, robot arms in front of my abdomen to kind of visualise um, the invisible pain that's associated with endo. And part two was pain pageant, which was a um, kind of embroidered fashion series where I worked with hospital gowns like the one I wore during my surgery and I embellished them to kind of um, each tell a different story either about um, the triggers and symptoms of endometriosis or the uh, performance of pain and the kind of um, pageantry of symptoms that's required to I guess get attention from GPs and get support um, because I spent about five years trying to figure out what was happening without really much progress. Is that right? Okay. Pain is subjective and pain is often invisible when it's inside the body. And I think there's a really long history of women's pain kind of being um, diminished and obviously I guess the, the medical practice and particularly um, gynecology practice has a real history of being male-dominated and perhaps having um, less space for understanding women's specific illnesses. Uh, so I really wanted to, I guess, um, draw out those kind of taboos and create these um, these gowns as more of a, a storytelling piece than something you'd wear on the street. They're not really my usual style that I'd wear down to the shops or anything like that. Do you do you have a do you have a usual style? I mean where, Jess, where do you draw your inspiration from for your art? Is it through your own human experience or is it through broader observation? I'd say a bit of both. I mean um, two of the gowns were more orientated to social issues, whereas one of them was very personal about my um, anaesthetised dreams during my surgery. Um, 
But I guess in terms of my art more broadly, if you look at it, I mean, everything's pink. That's the first thing you'll notice. And, um, <laughs> it's your colour of choice, is it? Yeah, it is. And I really love the colour pink because, I mean, a lot of young girls really like the colour pink. And then as you become a teenager, it's kind of, um, it's not cool. It's, it's dorky. But then kind of when I got into my 20s again, I came back around to it and I thought, you know, what's kind of so bad about um, embracing the feminine and now I kind of see the pink as more of an empowering symbol of um, feminism. So it's something I really love to use in my artwork and, and love to wear. Um, but in terms of piece to piece, um, I guess my the materials I use vary a lot. So obviously going from um, robotics and fashion to 3D printing to sculpture to coding. So I guess I'm quite orientated by concepts rather than a clear um, singular aesthetic that I'm replicating through my pieces. I think that um, whatever is going to enable me to convey an, an idea or solve a problem uh, is what I'm going to use for my next piece. You mentioned before that art is very subjective. Have you been able to determine what makes good art or a good artist? Because I'm sure the I'm sure the answers vary so differently that you know it's. I mean, you look at the um, for example, the Archbold Prize here in Australia, the famous portrait competition. There's never agreement on the winner and why. So I'm, I'm keen on your perspective as an artist as to what makes good art. Yeah, you're right. It does vary a lot. And um, I was actually fortunate to work at um, Tarawara Museum of Art a few years ago when we hosted the Archibald and spent a lot of time looking at all the portraits. And I think at least for me, uh, good art in general is something that challenges you to perceive something in a new way whether that's um, more aesthetically orientated, looking at, you know, masterpieces like Monet or Vincent van Gogh and um, just reconsidering uh, from a new perspective what does the sky look like in the evening or, or how does the light hit a petal. Um, but then I guess more how I interpret it in my practice is looking at something from a new perspective in understanding a social problem or understanding um, technology and, and how it's being implemented or how um, society is moving in a, a certain direction in terms of uh, how stems filtered through um, and I guess really starting conversations is what I see as integral to a good piece of artwork at least when I'm evaluating my own projects. So speaking of your own work, once uh, all things being equal and fingers crossed, do you finish uh, there at the University of Warwick? Uh, what's what's the plan and are you thinking about additional research or further study? I think I'm definitely interested in continuing my research throughout my career. Uh, I think I'd like to do a fellowship following my master's and kind of a, a short-term research project while I'm over here in Europe. But when I come back to Australia, I think it'd be great to start with a more strategic role in infrastructure sustainability, um, maybe going back into Treasury. Uh, I was working a little bit there before moving here. 
Um, but I guess as I mentioned earlier, I've got lots of different research interests uh, across the health sector. You do, you do. <laughs> uh, environmental management, infrastructure. So I think something that could be a really great way to draw everything together once I'm back home uh, is I'd love to found an interdisciplinary research lab to, I guess, facilitate people from different sectors working together on solving uh, sustainability issues and and bringing a bit of a policy co- creative context uh, to that as well. And when uh, Jess, uh, are we likely to see you back on our shores, back in Australia? I'll definitely be back for summer. I've done two winters in a row this year. And yeah, that's enough. That's enough. Yeah, I need a summer. Um, but I think I'll be back uh, to settle in the next year or two. So. Uh, I finish up my course towards the end of this year and we'll see how things go after that. Well, we look forward to welcoming you home with open arms, Jess. It's been great talking with you today from the other side of the world, from England to Australia. We wish you all the very best with your studies and thanks for coming on to the Scholars Podcast. Thanks, Justin. Take care. Good luck.